0: Hello and welcome to Under the Skin from Luminary. This week I spoke with Tim Pool. Tim Pool is a journalist, activist and one of the biggest political YouTubers in the world. He operates four YouTube channels and has a membership subscription based site timcast.com he became known for live streaming the 2011 occupy wall street protests now that under the skin is on apple Podcasts, please leave a review there it really helps and we will read some of them out so yeah leave us a review there if you'd like to listen to the rest of this podcast and all of my weekly under the skin podcast all you have to do is subscribe to luminary on apple podcasts or download the luminary app also i have a brand new meditation podcast called above the noise out now in the episode with Tim Paul, we will be discussing the future of politics. Tim talks about uh, hyper-partisanship and the need for decentralization, the problems of the d- uh, deterioration of local, local news sources. And what else, Jen? Did you... Psychological warfare. Psychological warfare. Are we in a psychological war? That's what it's about. We're in a psychological war. So have a little listen to this and tell me if you agree. Trying to achieve equality with the annihilation of category is not a no, successful yeah, route. Yes, that's, that's, that's exactly right. We're in this era
1: where it turns out we were never the boss. It doesn't look like an ideology.
0: What's beneath the surface of people we admire, of the ideas that define our time, the history we are told welcome to Russell Brand Under the Skin. Do you accept then that in terms of any kind of f- political fulfilment, and by that I mean the ability to live in a community that's representative of your values and to express yourself as an individual as you want to, that you would have to, to some degree, separate yourself and your community from these centralised structures and if as you seem to be suggesting because you talked about sort of a co-op you sort of used that phrase and and, and, and does that indicate that perhaps the future for politics is beyond these centralization models? And, and, and are you sympathetic towards people that say, look, what difference does it make this theater of, you know, you know of um, this bipartisan theater? Shouldn't we evolve beyond these models that were kind of created hundreds of years ago when representative democracy was more relevant?
1: I, I, I'm worried that we're drifting into hyper partisanship. You know, I, I think decentralization is always the way to go. There's got to be some central kind of agreement, maybe overarching um, uh, constitution, perhaps that's the way to put it, where we're like, okay, so these are these are the rules we're going to use to engage with each other, but we disagree. So I think that's why the, the U.S. is actually uh, great. The states, the cities, the localities, they each have their own implementation, their own version, but it's, it's, it's hyper-centralizing. And the problem is uh, you can look at it with media. The more we we lose local media in the United States because they can't sustain themselves in this new attention economy. We see the rise of uh, the New York Times building a massive subscription platform. We see the Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal. And then what happens is for the average American, they're hearing about national issues and less local issues. Now, for one, this can breed corruption at a local level, which the local level is where it's at. The federal level is is often, in my opinion, a distraction for, for a lot of reasons. But then you end up with corruption at the local level, you end up with people disassociated from their own communities, and then you end up with hyper-polarization and centralization. So the fear I have with this is, you know, you, you, you take a look at when Joe, Joe Biden came out a few months ago and said that we may need to have more, more lockdowns, more restrictions. This was at a time when Texas and Florida had been releasing their lockdowns. They've been uh, easing the restrictions and mask mandates and all that stuff. And so when Joe Biden comes out and he speaks saying those things, he's clearly not talking to red states. And so now you, you you already have a situation where over the past year, many, I think it's like half of Republicans don't view Joe Biden as legitimate. and Like a third think that he didn't even win the election. And so these people are already feeling like they're not a part of the system. When the president comes out and speaks in a way that very much so speaks to only one side of the country, the centralization is giving way to a, a splitting down the middle of some sort. I don't know ultimately what it would look like, But that's what happens when you go from decentralized communities with a weak central structure where they can communicate to centralizing everything and then factionalizing. I think the whole system is going to implode on itself. And I think it has a lot to do with the Internet. I think it has a lot to do with uh, social media and the attention economy. I don't know what the solutions are, to be honest. You know, people have a right to free speech.
0: You used to, like, say more... um, Thank you, Laura. You used to say more... um Frequently, at least as, as, as far as I'm aware, that you felt that I think I guess in the final days of Trump that America was on the brink of some kind of civil war. Um, I still do. Do you? Yeah. There's
1: a uh, uh, but there there's been polling data that I think may uh, uh you know evolve that opinion. Notably, there was a YouGov data that showed I think it was YouGov that uh, there's five regions in the United States. There's the northeastern, there's the southern, there's the heartland, there's the, the west and the mountain regions. And in each region, there was a large plurality of people who wanted to secede from the union and form their own regional governments, essentially. If you, if you uh, normalize for population in each, by each state, I did the math, you end up with 37.2% of the U.S. population wanting the country to break apart. That's, that's, that's massive uh, because opposition to a, a, a balkanization of the United States is comparable. It's in the, it's in the third range. So you have about a third of people who are like, I don't care. You have about a, a little bit over a third saying, shut her down. And you have about a third saying, no, no, keep it as it is. And so when it comes to the yes or no vote, the people who abstain abstain, and then you'll get what, 50, 50. So I, I don't exactly know what it would look like though. I think people have this uh, um, misconception about what civil war really means Uh, And they also don't take into account that we're in what's referred to as fourth and fifth generational era of warfare. Uh, We don't necessarily use kinetic force to win wars. We use uh, psychological operations, propaganda, manipulation. And so uh, depending on how you want to define it, look, we had a guy get shot in the chest by an anti-fascist after a Trump rally in Portland. We just had a shootout in Portland just a couple days ago. It may, the, the kinetic aspect of any kind of civil conflict may keep itself constrained to these left and right skirmishes in various cities. That it, it simmered down a little bit. We're in kind of a lull year because politics, uh, you know, we, we just got off a presidential election. But I mean, you look now with the uh, cyber symposium, and uh, I see a cat, and, uh, and uh, we, we, we have the audits in Arizona. You know, I, I just talked with Steve Bannon the other day, and he's talking about audits in, in, in Georgia and in Wisconsin and Michigan and all these states. This is persistent. These people aren't backing down. They don't view Biden as the real president. And so if, if you have that rising sentiment, I'm not saying that we're going to see, uh, you know, one thing Bill Maher said was that there couldn't be a civil war because the Mason Dixon line would go through grandma's kitchen a reference to the line that divided the north and the south. But I think that's uh, Americans have this, this issue where we view, we view conflict or, or uh, circumstances or uh, concepts through an American lens. They don't seem to understand that the world exists. And the Spanish Civil War, for instance, the Russian Revolution, you take a look at what happened in the U.S. with state versus state, north versus south, and it's very unique to the United States based on its structure, this massive union of different jurisdictions. But you take a look at the Spanish Civil War, and you can see pockets erupting of different factions declaring different regions. So again, when when I say civil war, it's... I don't know. You know, I've tried to to veer away a little bit from saying civil war simply because I think people don't understand it. They they assume I'm saying that California is going to declare war on Texas or something, which I, I don't mean that. But you could see different factions popping up. Ultimately, you could see factions forming allegiances or alliances with each other. And, you know, ultimately, I think when people are already ready to kill each other, are already wishing for the death of each other on social media... I think we're, we're, we're going to go into a psychological conflict. That's, that's what, uh, f- uh, fifth generational warfare is a reference to manipulating someone online through using fake accounts to convince them that a certain idea is popular. Uh, fourth generational warfare is more, uh, is, is similar, but does involve physical conflict and things like that. Propaganda, black ops, false flags, etc. I'm looking at Twitter, man, and I'm seeing people celebrate death, wish for death. O- o- overtly, These are verified blue check mark, high profile accounts, gloating and wishing for death. And that that's, you know, been escalating. So I'll I'll put it this way. I'll put it in simple terms. In 2018, we saw Proud Boys, Antifa, right wing, left wing groups clashing. And it was some of the most violent conflict I'd ever seen, you know, in the US. I'm not, I'm not that old. I'm 35, but I had been at Occupy Wall Street. I had seen, you know, anarchist Antifa and stuff like that. I saw people throwing M80s at old women. I, I saw improvised explosive devices I wouldn't rate as too dangerous, but dangerous uh, mortar shells being thrown. This was 2018. And so I was, I was, that, that's when I started saying, if, if this continues to escalate, because we've already seen the culture war bubbling up since Gamergate in 2013, if this continues, we're at the level of kinetic uh, uh, skirmishes, You know, physical violence, then I, I don't see why people will back down when they're being threatened this way and the police aren't intervening. They're going to get angrier. They're going to spread more media. They're going to challenge each other more so, and the violence will continue to escalate. So I've had a few people challenge me on the notion, saying that I was completely wrong to imply that there could ever be a civil war in the United States. And this is back, you know, 2018, 2019, 2020. First, I'll say that um, I first bring this up because there was an article, I believe it was in The Atlantic. Where they said that they polled a dozen or so, or a large number of national security experts who said that they felt the second civil war in the United States was probable, ranging from some estimates of 30%, some saying 90%. You know, I see an article like that, and then I, I, I take that uh, expert opinion, apply it to my own experiences, and come to an agreement. But then we see, uh, you know, we, we see a Princeton professor coming out, uh, giving a, an interview, which, which was published in The Hill, saying we are in a cold civil war. There's a Russian oligarch who said the same thing, and this is years ago. So I, I remember uh, as of recent, I had uh, last year during the election cycle, you know, talking about the prospects of, you know, what would happen if Trump did win re-election, What would happen if Biden won? And that I feel that a civil war is possible. Afterwards, you know, I'll give one example. We had a guest who, you know, he kind of ambushes me when we start the show. And he said, so last time I was here, you told me a civil war was coming. You said that people were gonna get violent. You said things were gonna break down. Well, what happened? And I simply responded on January 6th, a large group of Trump supporters broke their way into the Capitol building to shut down the electoral college vote. And their the response was, oh yeah, that is kind of crazy, isn't it? If, if I were to tell you that in 2018, based off seeing this violence that uh, uh, you know, 800 to 1,000 people would break their way into the US Capitol, and, and, and shut down the process by which we, we formalize our president, I don't think people would have believed me. They would have just said, you're crazy. So now we're dealing with the uh, many of these defendants from the Capitol riots are in solitary confinement. Their, uh, their, their supporters are saying this is political imprisonment. These people are being mistreated. We just had Owen Schroyer of, of Infowars, one of uh, Alex, jo- he, I, I believe he works for Alex Jones. Um, he was just arrested. Apparently, they said that he was standing on the steps, which was trespassing. So now there's another high profile arrest. Many people on the right view this as uh, the, the Democrats just trying to crush out any Trump supporters overt acts of uh, political oppression against, you know, these against them and their idea and their ideas. And I see that as where we've gone from the culture war being an online battle between, you know left and right or, or, or critic, wokeism or whatever you want to call it, populism, MAGA, whatever, it eventually bubbled over into physical violence in the streets, which we saw for an extended period over a few years. Uh, I think ultimately culminating in, uh, I think his name's Aaron Danielson getting shot twice in the chest as he was walking from, he was leaving a Trump rally. Uh, this guy with the, had the black lives matter tattoo on his neck, shot him twice, killed him. Uh, then the, then you get, the, obviously Trump's government went and hunted that guy down and killed him. So the, 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 pol- the, political violence is here. I know it's been worse in the past, but it kind of, I, I ask a lot of people, I ask, you know, older people who come on the show, have you ever felt it this way with the, the hyperpolarization, the escalation of violence? They usually say no. And so where are we at now? Just this past weekend, a group of right-wing individuals, Trump supporters were trying to put on what they called a summer of love. Anti-fascists show up and through smoke bombs and objects then you get the right-wing groups that knew that would happen, showed up, showed up for the fight, then engage with them, and then you get roving street battles throughout Portland where the police say they refuse to intervene. And then two people end up in a shootout. People are ducking, hitting the ground, bolts are flying. So I wondered how long it would take for us to get to the point where bolts started flying. We're at that point now. Luckily, nobody was shot. But I think people need to understand, too. For one, maybe it all ends right now. Maybe that was the moment people saw the gun battle. You know, it was a shootout between two people in Portland and they'd say, this has gone too far. We got to stop. I personally don't believe that because we saw Charlottesville. And even after Charlottesville, which is several years now, it's still happening and people are still fighting. And I think people need to realize that when you read the history of either the Spanish Civil War, the Russian Revolution, or Weimar Germany, it's not like it happened overnight. When people read history, they're reading this this, this condensed version where it'll say you know uh the the boston tea party happened the boston massacre happened americans uh, declared independence but a lot of these people don't understand the american revolution was 20 years long that these these famous moments like the, the the tea party and the massacre were years apart from each other we read history we think it happened like the next week so so what i see is now 2021 you know gun battles in portland that's that's insane We've got uh, Joe Biden's approval rating among Democrats, of course, eighty-five percent. Among Repu- uh, disapproval among Republicans, ninety-five percent. But among independent voters, it's starting to collapse as well. The the amount of fervor we saw against Donald Trump, eighty-one million votes. And I, I genuinely believe I don't, I don't think there I, I don't believe the fraud stuff. I think I think people anti-elected Trump. They said no to this man, and they came out. So what happens in 2022 when Republicans take the House back in the U.S.? What happens in 2024 when you get a Trump or a DeSantis? The hyperpolarization, the tribalism is not de-escalating. I wish it was, but the the, the fundamental values and moral frameworks of both parent factions are so divergent at this point. I don't think there's a bridge crossing over. A good example is, uh, actually, there's a story right now. A journalist was attacked by anti-fascists, and I believe it was in Portland. There's a video of it. You can actually watch the video of them calling her a slut, shoving her to the ground, spraying her with paint and and, and macing her. And right now, if you go on Twitter, all of left Twitter says it was actually the Proud Boys. They're they are so tribalist on 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 their worldview, they will not accept fault for their own side. And obviously I think the right has its faults. I think the Proud Boys who show up to fight are causing, you know, equal trouble to a certain degree. And people have just they have their sides. They, they want to fight. They're, they're not interested in what is true. They're interested in what they believe and they're interested in confirmation bias. I think when independent voters start swinging away from Biden, which they are, and they might vote for Republicans, which I don't necessarily think solves any of the problems, you'll end up with a massive reaction on a scale much worse than we saw in 2020 with the riots because people are entrenched. You know They don't want to back down from what they believe to be true or their worldview. And I think uh, uh, just one final thought on this, a simple way to explain the difference. I do not think you will ever see uh, a large movement of Trump supporters embracing critical race applied principles, uh, critical race praxis. You will see that, uh, you know, the the left will obviously be very much in favor of their vision of equity and equal outcomes and, um, you know, racial quotas. The right won't do that. And so long as you have two governments, uh, uh, you know, fighting over control of one centralized system where they want to implement their moral framework, I think it ultimately ends up with some kind of implosion.
0: Well, Tim, I mean, you've said a lot. I mean, starting with the stuff you were saying about, like, the breakdown of... If you're enjoying this conversation, join me over at Luminary on Apple Podcasts for the rest of our discussion and for all the latest episodes of Under the Skin.